Hello, and welcome to the Aspen Malnutrition Awareness Week podcast on pediatric malnutrition and the use of body composition tools. My name is Peggy Gunter, and today we are honored to have with us Dr. Catherine Bell, Department of Pediatric Newborn Medicine at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts. Also, Dr. Sarah Rommel, Division of Neonatology, Department of Pediatrics at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And as our moderator, Dr. Cami Martin, Chief of the Division of Newborn Medicine at the Wheel Cornell Medicine and New York Presbyterian Kamansky Children's Hospital in New York. This podcast is brought to you by Aspen and supported by BiHeart. Thank you, Dr. Gunter. And it is my pleasure to be here with two leaders in infant body composition. Dr. Bell, I would love to start with you. Can you please tell us about why this topic is important? Certainly. Thanks, Cammie. The importance of adequate nutrition in childhood really can't be overstated. It's long been recognized that nutrition during the relatively short time period of infancy and early childhood has far-reaching impacts that last throughout a child's lifespan. And inadequate nutrition or its proxy poor growth, whether that's measured in terms of weight gain, stunting of linear growth, or head growth in early childhood, can permanently impair the growth and the development of the body and the brain. So children who experience malnutrition are at risk for shorter adult height, lower lean body mass in adulthood, and a range of adverse neurodevelopmental outcomes impacting cognition, speech, and motor development. And this is particularly true for infants born preterm who are at the highest nutritional risk. More recently, infant growth patterns have also been linked to metabolic programming and later cardiometabolic health. So overnutrition or excess weight gain in infancy has been suggested to contribute to later obesity and adiposity in adulthood. Because infants and children are uniquely vulnerable to malnutrition, it's important for clinicians to have a way to determine which infants are at risk for nutrition-related health complications. Ideally, we want to identify these infants before they demonstrate any overt signs or symptoms of malnutrition, so we can intervene before there are any negative health consequences. And that's where body composition has gained a lot of interest recently because of its potential to improve our ability to recognize infants who are at nutritional risk. Thank you, Dr. Bell. I love the idea about being able to use these tools to tell us earlier whether an infant or a child is at risk. So Dr. Ramel, can you talk to us about imaging as a potential emerging biomarker for standardized nutritional assessment? Sure. A biomarker is an objective measure of something happening in our body at a given moment. Ideally, these objective measures or snapshots in time can then be used to predict future outcomes. So if a biomarker provides an accurate assessment of one component of health at a given time, and this assessment is then predictive of other long-term health outcomes, that biomarker can be used to identify at-risk populations and those that interventions should be targeted to. Within the last 10 to 15 years, advancements in technology and imaging techniques have led to more potential options for measuring body composition in all populations, and specifically in infants. With the increased availability of measurement and imaging options have come increased studies investigating the relationships between early body composition changes and long-term outcomes. Specifically, there's mounting evidence that fat-free mass, which is an indicator of nutritional status and nutrient accretion, is also predictive of long-term neurodevelopment, including speed of processing, brain growth, cognitive, and motor outcomes among preterm infants. More recently, excess fat mass gained at specific times in development has also been associated with increased cardiometabolic risk for later in life 
as well as more difficult temperament in the preterm population. Several studies have now shown that body composition is a better predictor of long-term outcomes than measurement of weight and length alone, which is the current standard for nutritional assessment in the NICU. Additionally, it's been found that weight for lengthened disease, such as BMI, are not adequate surrogates for body composition, especially for young babies. For these reasons, there's heightened interest in techniques for measuring body composition, starting as early as shortly after birth in the NICU. Thank you. Can you share with us some of those most commonly used techniques? Sure. Air displacement plethysmography, or ADP, is the most commonly used tool for measuring body composition in the NICU currently. And this is the technique utilized in the majority of research in this area thus far. The P-Pod by COSMED is currently the only ADP device available for use in neonates. It basically involves placing the infant in an enclosed chamber for a couple of minutes to measure their volume, and then uses the principles of densitometry to calculate fat and fat-free mass. The technique is simple to perform, technically accurate, reliable for repeated measures, and largely unaffected by infant movement. For these reasons, it's been possible to create reference curves for fat mass, fat-free mass, and percent body fat for infants from about 30 weeks gestation out to six months of age. Unfortunately, several practical limitations exist with this technique, which has thus far limited its widespread clinical use in the NICU. The device is large and expensive, requires infants to be stable without respiratory support or central lines. Additionally, there are size limitations to the chamber, only allowing the device to measure infants between 1 and 10 kilograms. MRI and DEXA are both direct methods of body composition measurement that are accurate and precise. These tools both have the advantage of being able to provide regional estimates of fat and fat-free mass allowing the researcher or clinician to differentiate between central and peripheral adiposity. And DEXA is also able to provide information on bone density. However, given the expense, need to limit movement of the infant during the study, potentially necessitating sedation, need for transport to radiology, typically for use of the device, need for trained technicians, and exposure to small amounts of radiation with DEXA. These are more useful for research quality data and unlikely to become routine nutritional management tools. Bioelectrical impedance, or BIA, measures the opposition or impedance of the body's tissues to a harmless electrical current. The technical accuracy of BIA in preterm infants is not yet established due to the lack of a validated prediction equation, but this work is currently ongoing. This method has several advantages over other existing measurement techniques in that it's portable, inexpensive, safe, and feasible to be performed even on infants who are critically ill and dependent on respiratory support and or central lines. Additionally, it can be used on infants and children of any size in both the NICU and outpatient setting, potentially allowing for repeated measures in longitudinal studies. Ultrasound is the final technique I'll discuss, and it's another possible method for assessment of body composition in infants. It's more precise than skin folds, but has been minimally explored in preterm infants. Images are basically analyzed for either the thickness or cross-sectional area of adipose tissue or muscle. And in some studies of adolescents and adults, there have been shown to be correlations between these measurements and overall body composition. 
Ultrasound is non-invasive. It involves no radiation. It's readily available in most clinical settings and can be quickly performed at the bedside in critically ill infants. However, there's a lot more work to be done before this tool can be utilized in the NICU regularly. Thank you very much for that information. And clearly the tools can provide a tremendous amount of information, but we've also just heard a nice review of their strengths and potential challenges. Dr. Bell, how do you see these tools being used in the clinical setting? Yeah, absolutely. Whenever we're thinking about bringing something new into the clinical realm, we want to think about to what extent a new test can provide added value over the available alternatives or current standard practice. And in this case, the standard practice is to measure infants' anthropometric growth using weight, length, and head circumference. So as we're thinking about how to move body composition measurement from the research tool that it is currently into clinical practice, we want to consider those possible advantages that it has over the standard practice. And as Dr. Ramel mentioned, emerging evidence does show that fat-free mass may be a better predictor of brain growth and development than weight is alone, and fat mass may be a better indicator of later obesity and cardiometabolic health. So I think we have some important indicators that these tools have a potential advantage in the clinical realm over what we're currently doing. But we also need to think about how those tools fit into the clinical environment, meaning the reality that most preterm infants do need respiratory support or they can't be moved easily from their bed space, and techniques that don't work in that environment are always going to be limited in their clinical implementation. So ongoing investigation to validate techniques like bioelectrical impedance or ultrasound that can overcome some of those limitations would be very valuable for moving this into the clinical realm. Lots of important information, and thank you both for sharing that, your expertise. I think I would like to kind of end with a question of where do you both see this going in the future, or where do you, would you like it to go in the future? Thanks, Cami. I'm really hopeful that in the next five, hopefully not 10 years, we'll have established methods of body composition measurement that can be used on small, critically ill preterm infants but also tools that can follow along with these infants as they discharge from the hospital and go on through follow-up programs and into adolescence and adulthood. Ideally, we'll have reference data available on infants as small as 22 to 23 weeks and spanning all the way out through childhood to really allow researchers to identify the patterns of growth that are associated with the best outcomes and also to allow interventions to be developed that can specifically be aimed at achieving these outcomes. Additionally, these tools that then can be used with the accompanying reference data could allow clinicians to identify infants early who are deviating from these healthy growth patterns and allow them to make early adjustments in nutritional plans, again, with the aim of improving their long-term brain growth development, as well as their later metabolic health. So if this ideal tool becomes available, and most likely seems like it would be BIA or ultrasound at this time, this technique could hopefully be incorporated into these weekly assessments that we already do in the NICU with measuring their head and their length, and then also incorporated into long-term follow-up programs. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Sarah. And just to add a few additional comments, 
as you mentioned, the field of body composition has really come a long way over the past 10 to 15 years. And some of those ideas about incorporating body composition into clinical practice are becoming much closer to being a reality. I think several key questions that are still research priorities for the field include identifying the optimal target body composition for infants at various ages, as well as the optimal interventions to use in an infant who's found to be deviating from those goals. And I think using our research programs to strengthen our knowledge in those areas would really go a long way toward moving body composition into routine clinical practice as well. But like Sarah, I'm hopeful that this is something that we would be able to bring into the clinical environment that could help clinicians identify and really intervene early for infants who are at high risk of nutrition-related complications later in life. Thank you both for all of this information. I understand and appreciate the importance of nutrition and and long-term health and development of infants and children and especially preterm infants. And I know after hearing this, I'm very excited about the future and being able to be armed with new tools so that we can better take care of our kids. Thank you. Thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast. And thanks so much to our speakers for sharing their thoughts today with our Aspen audience. Our appreciation goes out to Byheart for support of this podcast. Have a good day.